Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I have the great pleasure of meeting the author of an extraordinary new book. It's called All the Small Wonderful Things. And her name is Kate Foster, and she lives in Australia on the Gold Coast. She was British, lived in the southeast of England, and now she's there, and she has dogs. And this book is so doggy, and it's also about an extraordinary little boy. So, Kate, I want to thank you for writing this really remarkable book. It took me on a journey into the inside the mind and the body of an autistic child, highly sensitive to everything. And it's, and it's such a compassionate and empathetic book. And I have to guess that you have somebody autistic in your own life. And I guess you are not autistic because I don't know how you could do an interview otherwise. oh well thank you so much for such a lovely introduction um yeah it's um it is a book that very much based on real life real experiences um i am autistic actually you are um i am yes and so is my youngest son yeah so um we it's definitely um 
you know, over the last few years since his diagnosis and my diagnosis, it's been a real journey of, of understanding autism from our point of view as well. Um, meeting lots of different autistic people and appreciating that it's just a, it really is an enormous spectrum of different people um, and different behaviors and and different um, struggles and um, strengths so yes. yeah so writing all the small wonderful things was just an absolute joy um, and a way to sort of try and put that balance I think um, onto the page and help people yeah, like you say, really kind of go on a journey with an autistic person and understand the ups and downs of everyday life. The intensities, the intensities. Now, let me understand what you said. Your son is autistic and you only recently were diagnosed as autistic yourself? Yeah, so we've. it's been a few years, both of us. Um, my son received his diagnosis first and then I followed suit <laughs> shortly afterwards. Uh, so, but, but it's been a few years now. So, we've but that's had, really we've had a while. that's really interesting because I, I think a lot of us think, if we look back, if we're older, baby boomers or the like, that when we were children growing up, many things were not understood about humans, mm. especially young developing humans, and the spectrum, whether you call it maybe from autism to Asperger's or whatever that spectrum is, and it's not some sort of a yardstick, of course. It's a, it has lots of variations, but it wasn't used to understand people who saw and felt the world differently. And I, it, this book helps anyone who reads it to inhabit the inside of the mind and the life of at least this little autistic boy. Now, I guess the book is meant for children, to read. But for me, it was really a, a character study, an immersion in this child who's looking forward to doing a dog show with his dog and his relationship with everybody in his world. And it's from his point of view. So it could easily be a book for adults. But when you wrote it, did you have the audience in mind, the age group or the maturity level of the audience in mind when you wrote it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think... Um as a children's author, um, you know, like my, I guess I'm always thinking about my audience as I write. Um, but there's also an element that when I do write my voice um, and um, I guess the way I uh, structure sentences and, and all the other kind of crafty um, technical things that go into it are very naturally for children. Um, I think maybe part of me is <laughs> still trapped um, in that kind of 11, 12-year-old <laughs> period of my life. <laughs> well, it's interesting um, because as, a, as an author myself and, and interviewing many authors, not so many with children's books because not many of them seem appropriate for an NPR kind of adult audience the way yours is, it's not that easy to understand what is it that makes a really fine piece of writing, a really lovely piece of literature geared for children and what would make it not child comfortable? I don't mean friendly in terms of not being about topics that children don't want to read about, but kind of attitudes that feel more comfortable to children. I guess in this case, because you help us to inhabit this little boy's life, it could be anybody's autistic child or any child that you come upon that you don't quite understand. And then having read all the small, wonderful things, I now think, oh, that child is living their life as an autistic person and everything's really loud for them. 
and really bright for them and really overwhelming for them. So when you were a child, not diagnosed, do you think you felt any of the things that this character feels? I won't say your own son, because you've created, obviously, a work of of the imagination. But do you feel that you were shortchanged in some way by not being fully understood the way you as an author understand this character? Um, Potentially, yes. I mean, it's, you know, having only received the diagnosis, I mean, it was a few years ago, but, you know, um, I think there's an awful lot of looking back um, and accessing memories and moments from my past, yes. which I'm still doing. And I'm still sort of sitting back and thinking, ah, oh, well, that makes an awful lot more sense now. I understand, um, you know, why I felt that way, why I, you know, took my, removed myself from that situation. Um, so there is an awful lot of still learning um, about life, how life was for me. But yes. it was such a long time ago. And I think um, it would be dreadfully unfair of me to um, feel like um, I was shortchanged, I guess, um, to use <laughs> to use your wording. Um, I think, you know, everything was very different. We didn't have the same understanding that we do now of, of right. autism and, and, and other neurodivergencies as well. So um, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I had a great childhood. I was, I was wonderfully loved. Um, I had a fantastic family. I had a, access to great education. So I really can't grumble in, right. in many ways. Right. I'm and just being, very pleased. I was going to say, being so. English, you wouldn't grumble anyway. The British do not <laughs> win. But I must say, that was a really, a really for, for me, thinking, oh, I really, I really feel I can understand aut- autistic people, or at least this autistic child in the book well. And then I say to you, first off the bat, well, clearly you're not autistic because you're doing a radio interview to the United States. But I guess that isn't uncomfortable, or or is it? Does it change anything for you, do you think, than it would for somebody who isn't on the spectrum? Yeah, I think, and that's another reason why I'm writing the books I'm writing um, from the perspective of an autistic person from that kind of authentic place of of experience yes is that you know we are all so different and one thing I'm learning more and more with the more autistic people I meet and the more I venture into the world of being I guess a performer in many respects um, is that a lot of autistic people do enter the arts they do go into acting and they do go into even um, stand-up comedy um, because oh. there's a rehearsed part of that life um, which we um, cherish and we require in our lives to um, prepare ourselves, I guess, for interactions. Um, we like to know what to expect. Yes. Um, we like to prepare ourselves um, and we like to understand how people are going to respond to us. And obviously in everyday life, you know, you can't predict that and you can't That's prepare right. for that. So. When you go into the arts, be that writing, acting, um, music, you you are able to control so much of what you produce. So you can rehearse and you can, you know, have that joke and practice that joke and the delivery of that joke and how you stand when you, you know, deliver that joke um, so that you can maximize the response that you would like um, and you can prepare, you know, so much more in advance. And the same thing, obviously, with my writing is that um, I get to 
rewrite my sentences over and over and over <laughs> again until I'm absolutely 100% happy. I mean, obviously, I can't control how people feel and respond. Um, you know, some people are just simply not going to enjoy the book. But at the same time, I've done everything um, within my control, my capacity to ensure um, that I've prepared, I guess, um, yes. To, to the to the best of, in my way possible, yeah, absolutely. Well, this the, the whole idea of neurodiversity is a fairly new idea, and I remember now that a couple of years ago, I have a dog and a cat film festival that that travel the country and have premieres, and sometimes I interview some of the filmmakers, and there was a young woman who had a cat and made a, a good cat movie, and she had actually been acting. It's funny you should say acting because it was the thing she could do really comfortably as an autistic person. And before the interview, she gave me some instructions, which were really helpful about that she needed mm. me to speak slowly. And if I could write down some of the things I was going to talk about, it would help. Now, I've had PhD scholars who write to me ahead of time and say, I'm really more comfortable if you give me a list of questions. And I always say, and anyone listening to the show knows, really, a script? Because I say, well, I could give you some of the questions I might ask, but they usually evolve immediately from whatever we're saying to each other, more like a dinner yeah. party conversation. So I don't want to give you the false idea that I'm going to stick to those questions, not out of disrespect to your discomfort or potential discomfort, but just because of the way I am. I'm somewhere on some spectrum, by the way, Kate. We don't know which spectrum it is, but it's some <laughs> alien spectrum. I'm really serious. It's some spectrum or other. I just don't think there's a name for it yet, or no one's taken the time to look me up. I think that <laughs> that what I would love to do is have you read the, the section that I picked out for you, and I tell you why, because I really want people listening to understand how you marvelously immerse us in the inner life of this little boy who could be a grown person for that matter and still be autistic. Mm -hmm. And his relationship with his dog is so important. And he, all of his tactile and physical interactions with his dog, Kevin, are great because he, his, his description of them is so simplistic because it's broken down into all the feelings that he has, all the physical sensations I think it's great for us, those of us that don't pay that kind of close attention that you did as, as an author. It gets us to enjoy those teeny tiny moments with our dogs even more. So do you want to set the scene for this section or shall I? Um, yeah, I'm more than happy you to. You go ahead, please. It's definitely worth saying that many, many autistic people um, have incredibly close bonds with animals um, because animals, as you, as you mentioned, um, there's a simplicity about communicating yes. with them. Um, they don't demand, as, you know, so much of what other humans demand of us. Um, and we can be very more ourselves and, and, at, and at ease and at comfort yes. with, with animals. So, um, and I think that's why, you know, I tend to write an awful lot about dogs in particular because I'm a dog person. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, there's an awful lot of autistic people who have those connections with, with cats, with horses. Um, they go into sort of, you know, wildlife, uh, jobs involving wildlife photography and um, by uh, biologists and what have you. So, um, yeah, so animals is a, is a real connection yes. that we have. Um, so yeah, so the book, um, the section that, that you picked out is is oh, it's just a beautiful scene towards the end of the book, um, and it's kind of where the story has been building up to. Um, so Kevin has been, uh, sorry, 
Alex and Kevin have been preparing for the Paws Dog Show, um, which is just a few days away from where we start at the beginning of the book. Um, and Alex is absolutely determined that he will win this trophy um, because if he wins this trophy, then naturally he'll make friends because all right. of the popular children right. have won trophies or are very good at something. So, um, so the scene um, that we, we I'm about to read is where he's just arrived at the Paws Dog Show. So obviously emotions are high he's very excited very nervous um so um I'll, I'll get reading good and now i can see that jessup's lake showground doesn't look like she jessup's lake showground today there's a long row of huge tents set up at the bottom of the car park maybe more than 10 i can't count because there's so much noise and activity and my brain can't focus on one thing and people and dogs are everywhere Children and adults and puppies and dogs of all shapes and sizes and breeds I've never even seen or read about are, head, are all heading towards the tents or are already inside the tents, standing, waiting in groups and lines. I'm sure my heart has never beat this hard before and I think Kevin is just as excited because he keeps sniffing at other dogs as they pass, gently tugging my arm this way and that, but also looking at me as if to make sure I'm still there. But I'll never leave Kevin. You okay with all the noise and people, Mum asks, as we near one of the beige tents, with a sign saying registrations in big black letters hanging over the entrance, the Chinese crested dog picture at the beginning and end of the sign. The music and voices are loud here, and there are lots of people crowded into this tent, all talking, the dogs on leashes sniffing other dogs, cocking their legs and squatting, sitting and scratching their ears, jumping up at their owners, my eyes can't take it all in at once. My emotions are whirling inside me, making me feel like I might cry or laugh or shout out loud. But I keep them there, squeezing Kevin's leash as hard as I can until my fingers and wrist hurt, my other hand clinging to the backpack strap over my shoulder. I feel Mum's hand enclose mine and then Ned's hand on my shoulder. Alex, all good? Mum asks. I nod. I don't know if the noise and people will be okay, but I know this is where Kevin and I need to be. Ned scoops up Kevin, who I now realise was standing with his paws on my thighs and kisses him on the nose before handing him to me. I take Kevin, inhaling deeply as I hug him close to my chest. His soft fur makes me feel calmer, but he's not licking me at the moment, just resting his head on my shoulder, his ear like velvet against my cheek. It's so good, Kate, and you read it so well with that kind of urgency that's right through the book of, of how this darling little boy deals with the world and the people around him who understand and care about him and his wonderful dog, Kevin, who he <laughs> tries to train to do things even though other people are doing much more exotic things with their dogs. The main thing is that he and Kevin really are a team. It's a wonderful book about, about children who are different, people who are different, and the extraordinary ways that dogs make them feel well or better or whole or accepted. And you've done a, a great job with this book. And I hope Aww. lots of people will buy it. And the adults who buy it for their children will get so much joy reading it aloud to them. And if you buy it for yourself oh, as an you. adult, you can just read it to yourself quietly. All the small, <laughs> wonderful things. Kate Foster, congratulations on a job so well done. Thank you for sharing your work and also your own life with us. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. It's been so lovely to talk. Thank you. 
I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com.